watching us. They're watching us. You're teaching them how to live, whether or not you realize that or not. They're watching you. They're watching you. Uh, you know, I've always said, you know, more is caught from our kids than taught. And sometimes what we do is so loud, they can't hear a word that we're saying. Because they're watching how we live to see if what we do is what we say we believe. And so they're watching you. you know, what do we do? You know, there's so much pressure sometimes on dads. What do you do? You just, just love them. Love them the way God loves you. And that's what I want to talk about here this morning. We've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 3, the love chapter. Uh, people are very familiar with this chapter. But we've been studying this book so that we can become more efficient and effective of sharing Jesus Christ with our lost community and with people who are hurting and lost, who desperately need Christ here in our own community, but also around the world. We just finished looking at chapter 12 last week where the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, remember? A spiritual gift is a free and undeserved ability given to us by the Spirit of God for helping to build up God's church, building up the kingdom of God. And Paul tells the Corinthians that the church is the body of Christ, that, that we're unified. There's only one body, but there's many parts of the body. We're very diverse. We all have many different parts and functions, and every part has got to do its part for us to be healthy and grown and effective. And we talked about there in chapter 12 how God designed us to be participants, not spectators. There's too many spectators in the church in America today. Everybody matters. Everybody is needed. Everybody has a part to play. And church family, I encourage you again, find your part and play it because we need you. We need you. you know, in fact, I, I want you to put on your calendar, serve the city. This is a save the date thing. It's there in the bulletin. That's coming up soon in August. We do a week-long mission trip right here local. And we take each one of these schools and we spend all day at that school. Man, ministering those teachers. You're just coming back to school that week before the kids come. It's just a great opportunity for us to build relationships with the teachers and, and help them and do whatever we can. I want you to save that date. You know, Paul in chapter 12, he, he gives two different lists of spiritual gifts. And like I've said last week, that's not an exhaustive list. That's just some of the ways that God equips a person to build up the church. Verse 7 in chapter 12 says our gifts are given to us for the common good. It's not just for yourself, it's for the common good to help build up each other. Now, Paul's not finished with this discussion on the topic of gifts. Chapter 13 is part of that discussion. Very last verse of chapter 12 says, and now I will, Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. What we see here is that the most important thing is not the label of your abilities, not what gift that you have. The most important, Paul says, is this, the spirit in which you do what you do. Do you love people? Do you love people? I don't care who you are. If you're the pastor of the church, don't make you spiritual. Do you love people? Do you exercise your gift in loving people? Chapter 13, I, I use it at almost every wedding I do. I, I use it because, you know, our world has no clue what love is today. They don't. It's all based on condition. You do this, I'll do that. If I feel it, I love you. If I don't feel it, I don't love you. And so I, I, I always use this passage in a wedding because it tells us what God's love, what's unconditional love is really all about. And so this passage, you know, it applies to marriage, but it's not directed towards marriage. That's not why Paul wrote this. You know, it came right off of chapter 12. And so this, this chapter dealing with love deals with our relationship with each other in the church and how we are to love each other as we do what we do. This being Father's Day, I can't think of a more appropriate relationship to apply God's love to than a dad and his family, you know, to, to, his, to his wife or to his children. One of the most important roles of my life has been my role of being a husband and, and a father. And I believe nothing is a more worthy investment of a father's time and energy than being a godly man, you know, to lead his family, 
to love his family like God loves him. The returns that you will reap will include eternal rewards, but earthly rewards also that are much sweeter, more valuable than any amount of earthly material wealth you will ever get. So dads, how do we love our kids like God loves us? That's what I want us to look at today. I want us to see how dads tidy up, how we are to love and focus and, and declutter and focus on what's important and love our children, our grandchildren, the way God loves us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're able, would you please stand with me out of reverence and honor for God's holy word. Remember, look at that, right, that very last verse, verse 12. And now I will show you the most excellent way, the most important thing. And he goes, chapter 13, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have to get to prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that, that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I, I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then this chapter ends with verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. Young men and young women, or if you're thinking about dating or want to date one day, man, look at this list. This should be your checklist. If somebody tells you they love you, this is how they should treat you. Are they loving? Are they kind? Are they patient? Are they not easily angered? I mean, that's real love, man. Use that as a checklist. Now, Paul takes some of the spiritual gifts he's just been talking about and says they're all useless. All these things he told us that God gifts us with, he said they're useless if you don't have love. Paul's telling us that if I don't live a life of love, Nothing I say will matter. Nothing I know will matter. Nothing I believe will matter. It don't matter what you believe even. Nothing I give will matter. Nothing I will accomplish will matter if you don't love people, if you don't have love in your life. See, being a true follower of Christ means we must learn to love other people. And the kind of love that the Bible talks about, God's love, is not a feeling. It's a choice. Sure, we have emotions with it and they come and go, but you cannot base your commitment on feelings because they will come and go. And that's why everybody's coming and going in their marriages. You know, love is a decision. It's a choice that you make. It's an action. It's a behavior. If you love somebody, it's much more than just words. It's behavior. And we're going to see that here. So, so what does it mean to love our kids the way God loves us? Well, Paul describes love in positive terms, but also he has some negative terms with point back to positive terms. And so here we go. How to love your children the way God loves you? Loving fathers are patient. Man, they're patient, verse 4. And that word patient used here is, is always used in the New Testament to describe patience with people rather than circumstances. That word be patient with people. It describes a person who is slow to anger. Patience is the way we respond to other people. And we need to be patient for a lot of reasons. God is patient. He's a patient God, and he's very patient with us. Can you imagine if he wasn't patient with us, we'd be in big trouble. Well, what does patience look like? Patience means giving people, and dad giving our kids time to learn. I mean, he's giving them time to mature. Man, they're not you. We need, patience means we give them time to develop, 
because we all understand that growth takes time. I mean, patient people understand that we're all a work in progress. Patience means that we resist the tendency that we have of drawing, you know, preventative, you know, I mean, we, we draw conclusions about things we fully don't understand. And, and the patient person understands that, you know what, everybody's got bad days. We all get frustrated. You know what, we all carry burdens that other people don't know about. You know, people are hurt. I've realized all people are hurting just in one area or another. And a patient person will cut them some slack. Man, we're, we're so impatient and we take offense to every little thing. When you're a patient dad or a patient person, you realize we're on different places in the journey. I have three kids, all of them very different. You know, all of them are in their journey in different places in their life and they go through it different ways, different pace. Uh, and when you're patient, you know, you, you keep praying, you keep planting seeds and you keep trusting God. When you're patient, that means you hold your tongue. Dad, what you say can cut, man, deeply. Most harsh words we say come because we're impatient. You're being frustrated because we're impatient. Too many Christians have even destroyed their witness to their family and to their friends and coworkers because of foolish and impatient outbursts. Verse five says, you know, true love is not easily angered. It's patient. Patient is how we respond to others. Fathers, loving fathers are also kind. True love means you're kind, loving fathers are kind. Kindness is how you treat other people. Patience is how you respond to people. Kindness now is how you treat people. And, and there's a lot of hurting people in this world. There's a lot of hurting people in your family. There's probably hurting people right there on your pew. And Christians, we're to display kindness through our actions and help minister to the needs, the physical and emotional needs of people. Man, we just need some kindness because we just gotten mean. Man, we've gotten mean. Kindness means giving others what they need, not what they deserve, but what they need physically or emotionally. It means doing for others what they cannot do for themselves. Kindness means that we take time even to suffer and hurt with others. Man, we need kind people. A kind people, a kind person sees the needs of people around them. Dad, if you're kind, you're gonna become a student of your kid. You're gonna know them, watch them, and you're gonna notice, man, when they're hurting. You're gonna see them. A kind person sympathizes with people's pain. I remember I was a senior in high school. I, sh I was a senior in high school. I shared this with our high school senior graduation banquet about a month ago. This is a true story. I was a senior in high school, my first girlfriend. I was a senior and like this girl, she was a junior. And so I said, I know what I'll do. I played on the church softball team. So I took her to the softball game and I played in. And I liked her a lot. I thought she liked me. I took her home. And when I dropped her off, you know what she did? She kissed me. And I, that's my first kiss ever. She kissed me. I mean, right here. And I didn't know, whoa. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I, I fell in love right then. I was in love. I was in love. That was on a Friday night. Man, I was in love. She, I was thinking about our future together and everything. And even though she was a junior and I was a senior, I go to school on Monday and I'm looking for her. And I see her. I see her down the hallway coming towards me. As soon as I see her coming towards me, and I was going to tell her, man, I'm, uh, you know, man, our future is so bright. And as soon as I saw her, I saw this other kid who was a junior come by and she took his hand and they started walking down the hallway together holding hands. Just like that. She dumped me just like that. I thought she loved me on Friday, my first kiss, and she dumped me on Monday with a junior. And I was a senior. 
that stuff broke my heart, you know? And, and people say, well, that's, that's puppy love. But, but you know, love's, puppy love is true to a puppy, you know? And that was my first, I was a puppy. That was my first girlfriend, you know? And, and I know my dad, he knew things weren't right. You know, that's my first broken heart, you know? And, you know, and my dad was tough. He was rough. Don't, I never seen him cry. Only told me one time he loved me. That's just what men, you know, that's just what, and that's when I was leaving. <laughs> I was leaving the house, going to Iowa for summer to try and start a church as a 20-year-old. And so, you know, I, but he was rough and tough. That's just the way those guys were back then. I was raised like that. He loved me, he cared about me, was a great provider. But, you know, he could have, he could have, when, when he realized what was going on, he could have let me have it, you know, and, and say, you know, you know, all this kind of stuff that he would tell me. But he didn't. Because he knew my heart was broken. And, and he, in that moment, he was kind, you know. He could have said some things that normally he would say that wouldn't really help the situation. That's what men would say. And, uh, but he was kind. And so a kind man, you know, a kind father sympathizes with people's pain. A kind person seizes the moment. Don't wait to be kind. Look for ways to be kind. Do what you can at that very moment. You can't do everything. I can't do everything. But I can do something. And you can do something. Mow somebody's yard. Man, listen to the same story over and over again. That person's lonely. Buy some groceries for somebody. Pat somebody on the back for a job well done. Notice people. Look them in the eyes. Say kind things to people. Express love and appreciation to your kids. You know, be a kind father. Man, you know, we need kindness today. Man, why be kind? Well, you need to be kind because God's been kind to you. And kindness honors God, the Bible says. And, and God says kindness is an act of worship. You know, the Bible says kindness makes you happy. When you're kind and you're patient with people, that just makes you feel good. And listen, guys, kindness actually makes you more attractive. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 22, and the Living Bible paraphrase says, kindness makes a man attractive. That's Proverbs 19, 22. Write that down. That means, guys, there's hope for some of you. There's hope for some of you. You can be a spiritual Brad Pitt if you just be kind to people. If you just be kind to people. Because when you're kind to people, it makes other people want to be kind to you. you. You do reap what you sow. And so when you're patient and kind with people, they're kind to you. And God actually blesses kindness. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17 says, a kind man benefits himself. God rewards us for our kindness, and we need kindness. There's so many, so many mean people out there. Fathers are patient, and even though you ha maybe you didn't have a nice father, maybe your father was mean to you, you break the cycle. You break the cycle. You break that chain, and God can help you do it. Loving fathers are patient or kind. Loving fathers are humble. Verse 5 goes on to say, love does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking. That means you're humble. That's what it means. You're humble. Humility is, is thinking of others instead of yourself and acting in their best interest instead of your own. That's so un-American, isn't it? But that's biblical. That's what Jesus did. That's how God is, thinking of others instead of yourself and acting in their best interest instead of your own. It's a choice to be other-centered, not self-centered. Humble people practice putting others first and they help other people get ahead. Humble people, humble fathers do more listening than talking. You're trying to understand where your kids are coming from. You know, you're, you're learning from them. I, I learned so much from my kids, you know, I still do. When you're humble, you admit when you're wrong. Dads, it means a lot for your kids to hear you say, man, I was wrong. I know I promised you I'd be there and I broke that promise, I'm wrong. And, I was so and I'm sorry. 
and they need to hear you say, will you forgive me? That's a humble father. That's a humble person. And, and you need to be humble because the Bible says you'll be more likable. That's so true. Who likes an arrogant person? You know, when you're humble, you're more likable. You're wiser, the Bible says, because you look to God more when you're humble. You realize you don't know it all. When you're humble, you have less conflict. When you're humble, you're like Jesus. So, I mean, these things that the Bible's telling us that love is, that we should be like, man, that's a better way to live, a patient person, a kind person, a humble person. A humble person doesn't envy. You know, envy means you're jealous and you always want what other people have. Humble people rejoice for others when they have blessings in their life. Humble people find joy in the good fortune of others. Humble people are, are not boastful, proud, or rude. They do not have an inflated view of themselves. Humble people realize that God is God and they are not. Humility leads us to admit our own weaknesses. Man, that goes a long way in front of your kids, dad, when you say, man, I'm weak in this, I messed up in this, I struggle in this. Instead of covering those things up, you being honest about those things to your kids, that goes a long way. A humble person gives God credit and honor for the blessings in their life. A humble person feels no competition with other people. They don't always have to be right when you're humble. The humble person is very approachable. It's somebody that people like to be around. They're aware of God's mercy to them. And they know if they had the same situation you had happen to them, man, they'd probably be worse off than you. And so they're aware of God's mercy and they extend that mercy to other people. Humble people are not self-centered people. You know, we live in such a me first mentality and me first mindset. That's not a humble spirit. You know, self-centeredness has doomed marriages, has split churches. A self-centeredness has divided families. A humble person has a gracious spirit. That's what fathers are. Loving fathers are patient, kind, humble, and they're forgiving. They keep no record of wrong. That's what love does. It keeps no record of wrong. Keeps no record also can be translated store up. They don't store up. That word there in the Bible is an accountant word, accountant's word. And it's used for entering an item in the ledger so that it will not be forgotten. You keep it there. That's, it, that's precisely what so many people do. Man, they keep records. They store up. They, they never let the hurt go away. And, and they're bitter and they become bitter Hurtful people. One of the great traits in life is to learn to forgive. And, and love understands. When you love somebody, you understand it takes time to get over a hurt. And it does. You can't hurt somebody and tell them just get over it and get mad when they don't get over it right away. Man, love, love understands it takes time to get over a hurt. However, love also understands that for that relationship to flourish, to be healed, we need to learn to forgive when we forgive someone, we don't forget, you know, that something has happened. If you've been hurt deeply, you never probably forget that. But when you forgive, you decide, you know, and sometimes you don't need to forget so that you can make sure it doesn't happen again. But when you forgive, you decide not to allow what has happened to you in the past affect you now in the present. You work through the pain, you work through the hurt, and then you let it go. Now, I, I, we naturally resist that. We don't like doing that. Even though we know forgiveness is better for the relationship and for us, we don't want to do that. We don't, want to, we, we don't want to appear as being weak. We don't want to, quote, let them off the hook. Let me tell you something. When you forgive somebody, you're not letting them off the hook. You know, you let, you're putting them on God's hook. You let God take care of them, you know. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense they did in your life. 
Forgiveness does not mean that you've got to resume the relationship without changes either for true forgiveness. If somebody has hurt you deeply and offended you, there's three things that offender must do to, that, to restore that relationship. First, they've got to demonstrate a genuine repentance. If somebody's hurt you and they want to restore that relationship, there's got to be a change in their lifestyle. They've got to demonstrate genuine repentance. Second, they need to make restitution. However possible for the damage they did to you, if it's just telling you they're sorry, forgiving, whatever, they need to make restitution. And third, the offender's got to rebuild your trust, and that's going to take time. Forgiveness should be instant, but trust and rebuilding a relationship, that's a process. That takes time. they got to prove that they have changed over time. And that means sometimes for you, you've got to have safeguards in your life as you go through that process to make sure you're not hurt again. But you've got to give them time. Real forgiveness is not, relinqu- I mean, real, real forgiveness is relinquishing your right to get even. Even though the person deserves to be punished, love says, I'm going to absorb the hurt. And I'm, I'm going to seek to restore the relationship. Uh, I'm going to let Jesus Christ settle that score. You don't seek revenge. If you seek revenge, you're bitter, you're resentful, and everybody suffers around you for that. Jesus tells us that we should be willing to forgive because we have been forgiven. We don't want to forgive them, and yet we forget how much we break God's heart. You know, you will never forgive somebody more than what Jesus Christ has already forgiven you for. And, and, you know, bitterness doesn't work. You want to keep carrying around that bitterness and resentment in your life? You need to forgive. It's not for their sake. It's for your sake. Forgiveness is not saying the one who hurt you was right. It wasn't a big deal. No, forgiveness is stating that God is fair, and God's going to do what is right in that person's life. But loving fathers are forgiving Man, your kids are going to hurt you. You're going to hurt your kids. And you got to learn to forgive. Loving fathers are also truthful. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. A person who loves does not delight in evil. Hates evil, it says here. Because evil, it, it offends God. It's against God. And evil is so destructive in the lives of people who are touched by it. And it seems like in our, day to, our time today that people have come to love evil and hate what is good. And that's why we have so much trouble and shootings and heartaches like we've never seen before. But a person who loves rejoices in the truth of God. They understand that God's design is the best design for life. That God's word is true. They, they pursue God's values. They obey God's command. They teach other people the truth. They live it. Fathers, you got to teach your children the word of God. Teach them what the word of God says. Let them see that you're living it in your life. Love also speaks the truth. Sometimes love means we confront those that we love. And, 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 you know, and people say, oh, no, that's judgmental. No, it's not. That's love. That's, when you see your kid or somebody you love going down a road, it's going to hurt them. Man, and you don't step in and talk to them and confront them with love. That's not love. That's not love. That's indifference. Love means sometimes we got to confront. And that means with our kids, with our friends, and, and we got to love them with the truth. You know? But you just can't throw the truth on them. You, know, you got to make sure you do it with tact. Here's a formula that, that leads to transformation. God's truth plus tact. Tact. What I mean by that is what we just talked about. You have tact. You know, you're patient, you're kind, you're humble, you're forgiving. So you're speaking God's truth. You're doing it with tact plus the right timing. There's the right timing to tell your kids or your spouse, whoever, about some things. That equals transformation. Truth plus tact, you know, plus timing equals transformation. Loving fathers are truthful. 
our kids have no clue and they're being thrown, they're pretty much being told everything's okay. Nothing is out of bounds. And we need to lovingly say, no, no, that's not true. Oh, you can do everything. You're free to do whatever you want to do, but you're not free of the consequences. And those consequences are going to scar you and kill you and, and split up your home. And here's why God says what he says. Loving fathers are truthful. Loving fathers never give up. It says love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, never gives up. Loving fathers never give up. I don't care how old your kids are. I don't care how bad a dad you were. You know what? You can always start right now. Love never gives up. It always protects, the Bible says. Love does what is necessary to help a person. Love does what is necessary to protect them from harm, from ridicule, from embarrassment. Love's not, gonna, love's not gonna allow you to be embarrassed. Love guards a person's reputation. True love refuses to engage in gossip. You know, true love means we stand with each other and we stand up for each other in every circumstance. It always protects. Love always hopes. Love refuses to lose hope and give up on people. Love, hope sees the beauty in other people. Love sees in that person what other, other people overlook. Man, if there's got to be, a, if there need, the, the biggest cheerleader in your kid's life should be you. You love them, you see them, and you see things other people can't see. That's what hope does. Love always protects, love always hopes, love never fails. Love hangs in there. Love never gives up on people. Even when, if you got a prodigal son or daughter, it's like the prodigal father, man. He kept praying and waiting and watching for that son or daughter to come home. Love refuses to get discouraged. True love never fails. It's willing to pay whatever price is necessary to restore the relationship. These kind of people, man, they keep loving, they keep praying, they keep believing that love can win out in the end. Dads, that's the way. You know, I, I don't want to beat you up. I want to encourage you. I need to be encouraged. I need to be shown the way because we're confused. We're absolutely confused. The world has sent us all kind of mixed messages of what men are to be and dads are to be. Loving fathers are patient and kind and humble and forgiving and truthful and, and never give up. That's how God is. You just re replace love with God because God is love. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrong. God does not delight in evil, but he rejoices whenever truth wins out. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. That's our heavenly father. Many of you maybe not... Maybe you, had, you didn't have a father like that. And it's hard for you to get to know God because your father walked out on you or was mean to you. God is our heavenly father. He's not your earthly father. This is our heavenly father. That's how he loves you. And he call, this is how he calls us to love other people. It's a supernatural love that he will give us the ability to do. But you must first know his love. So my question for you is this, do you know his love? Have you accepted his love? Have you received his love? That's why Jesus came. You know, it's possible that, that some of you came here today thinking that you're not worthy of God's love. But I'm here to tell you you're wrong. Man, you're wrong. God does love you. He knows everything about you. He knows where you've been. He knows your thought life. He knows everything that's happened to you and what you've done. Nobody knows you more than God. He made you. And yet nobody loves you more than God. He loves you. You may feel like everybody has given up on you. And maybe everybody else has. But God has not. His arms are open. He's been eagerly awaiting for this moment for you to return to him. And when you do, 
he will welcome you. The past will be set aside as the past. And the Bible tells us celebration and a new life will begin when you come home. So I want to encourage you, man, stop hiding from God. Stop replaying the mistakes of your past and you head towards home. You turn around, you repent, you turn around and head back to your heavenly father. The father's waiting for you. Jesus Christ has paid the debt of our sins. He's paid the debt of our past. Now through faith and trust in him as the leader of your life and forgiver of your sins, a new life awaits you. Turn from your sin, turn to Christ, experience what true love is all about. We're getting ready to pray. This is between you and God, but you can ask God to forgive you of your sins and then tell him that you believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God, the Messiah that died on the cross for you, shed his blood for your sins and he rose from the dead and that you want to follow him the rest of your life. You pray with me. Their father, I pray for those. I pray for those men and women, boys and girls here today who do not have that peace knowing they're part of your family, that heaven is their eternal home. So I pray even now from their heart, they mean business and they talk to you and they say, please forgive me. Your word is true. It's right. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. And Father, I'm, I'm not worthy and I don't deserve it. But you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. And he rose from the dead. And Father, I want to put my faith and trust in him as the Lord of my life, the leader of my life, as my Savior, the one who forgives me of my sin. And I want to follow him the rest of my life. Father, I pray you encourage those, give those a peace who prayed that prayer from their heart and they meant it. Father, give them a peace that you heard it, that you answered it. That Father, they're home. Give them courage to tell somebody. And Father, I pray for those who are still struggling. Maybe they're still in a distant land. They've gotten off the path you made for them. And Father, it's never too late. They help them to repent and turn around and come back home because your arms are open wide. That's the kind of Father you are. You're kind and you're patient and you're humble and you love us enough to tell us the truth. So Father, I pray for encouragement. I pray for children to come home. I pray for people to get saved. I pray for relationships to be healed. Father, you do what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name I pray.